It's the Questioning Christianity podcast back on the internet. I'm Dan McClellan and with me, my co-host and biblical scholar, Rob Helton. Rob, how's it going? Good, Dan. How are you? I'm doing well. Rob, this is episode 50. How about wow. that? Wow, that's impressive. That's a lot of... I can't uh, believe that. We didn't realize it was the 50th episode until about uh, two minutes before we started recording. So um, yeah. not a lot of fanfare except for this sound effect, which I'll play right now. I'm going to put that in afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting on it. <laughs> so there we go. 50 episodes. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, it's nice to be back uh, talking with you again. We, we took a little bit of a fall break, but both of us have been well and healthy and all of those good things. So, um, so that's good. It's been different the, the last few episodes we've done. We're, we're doing them over Zoom. Uh, I kind of miss us not uh, getting to hang out, you know, where I could watch you shoot pool um, in your garage and stuff like that. So hopefully we'll yeah. be able to get back to that before episode 100. Yeah, that would be good. Probably at our rate of recording, we should be able to make it. <laughs> That's right. Today's episode is uh, perhaps entitled Beware of the Dogs. So mm-hmm. um, we're going to talk about uh, a passage from the book of Philippians um, where Paul says some things that sound a little bit weird. And uh, we're going to try to figure out what, what he means by that. And then this is the part I'm really excited about, too, is that we have an audio guest with us for this episode. So one of our listeners has uh, submitted some questions and she recorded the audio so that we can actually like hear her and sort of through the power of editing, talk with her here on the podcast. And I think that's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. So if that's something you'd like to do, if you, you, know, if you want to ask a question or have a, a something, uh, some commentary, something you want to add to the show, you can just uh, you can email us an MP3, which is just what uh, she did. And um, you can do that to our email address, info at questioningchristianitypodcast.com. And, uh, and we'll use that part of the next episode that we get around to in six to 24 weeks from now. <laughs> so, uh, I, so I should okay. go ahead and say Happy New Year to everyone, too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rob, we're looking at um, Philippians chapter three, and I like this, man. This was your idea about uh, sort of being careful, watching out for these dogs. And, uh, and Paul is talking to this church in Philippi. Mm, go ahead and read some of it. All right. How much of this do we need? Uh, the, like the first three verses. All right. I can read three. Yeah. Further, read. my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, <laughs> those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Watch out for the dogs. Good. Yeah, you did a good job reading that, Dan. Thank you. I got my glasses on. You put the emphasis in all the right places. It's an interesting passage because like most of the people who Paul writes to, he's writing to young Christians who are very impressionable. This was a new thing in, in the Jesus movement that Gentiles were becoming a part of the Jesus movement in the first century. For a while, it was just Jewish people because Jesus, of course, was the Jewish Messiah 
and Jewish people were accepting Jesus as the Messiah, and, and but then Gentile people started being converted, and Paul was like the official missionary to the Gentile people. Well, some of the Jewish Christians, people, Jewish people who had converted to Christianity, were still very, very dedicated to the Old Testament law, particularly they recognized the right of circumcision, which was the thing that distinguished Jewish people from the rest of the world. It was like, it was sometimes called the mark of circumcision. It was, of course, a little surgery that uh, Jewish boys got when they were eight days old. And so that's kind of what made you a Jew in some ways. And so these Jewish people who were converted to Christianity were saying to the Gentiles, sure, you can follow Jesus. You can be a Christian. But first, you have to become a Jew. In other words, you have to be circumcised, and then you can become a Christian. So Paul calls them Judaizers. These Judaizers thought of Christianity as being like this thing that is contained within Judaism. And the only way that you can get to being a a Christian is to go through Judaism. But Paul had a different concept. Following Jesus was bigger than Judaism. A Jew could become a follower of Jesus, yes. Or a Gentile could become a follower of Jesus, yes. But a Gentile did not have to become a Jew first to become a follower of Jesus. And so Paul calls these people who are telling these Christians who live in Philippi, these men, well, now you go, you got to go get this little surgical procedure done. You know, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, Paul says, no, don't listen to those people. They're dogs. Hmm. Uh, and he, he has all kind of derogatory ways of describing, describing those people and dogs. He said, watch out for those dogs. That's one way he described those people who were doing that. Paul's got so a little that's bit sort of mouth of on him, over, right? Overarching. Yeah. Yeah. Paul was, uh, yeah, he uses some um, pretty foul language in some different places. We won't get into all of that right now, but <laughs> when he uses that term dog, uh, for one thing, that was a, that was a term that some devout Jews used to describe Gentiles. And so Paul's turning that around on the Jewish oh, people. Okay. Uh, another thing is that in that world, it wasn't like, you know, we, our, our dogs are like, our pets, they're like part of our family, you know, and they're cuddly and we love them and we, <laughs> you know, hug on them. And it was totally different in the ancient world. Dogs were more like scavengers um, and they ran in packs and they could be dangerous. That's the way that Paul is describing this group of people who, who are in a sense attacking well-meaning Gentile people who just want to come to Jesus, but they don't want to go through the rite of circumcision. They don't want to become Jewish people. Um, so he's not saying watch Paul out also, for those fluffy companions. No, 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 no. He's not saying watch out for like my wife's little Yorkie that lays on <laughs> the bed with us at night. Yeah. No, um, he calls them, um, Evildoers, that's another term that uh, sometimes Jewish people use to describe Gentiles. E evildoers, uh, mutilators of the flesh. Uh, it's kind of interesting. One of the things that, um, that was very, very uh, despicable in Jewish people's 
understanding about the Greek people that they lived with is that um, these Greek priests who led worship of the of the pagan gods would sometimes cut themselves in worship. It was a way of expressing devotion, and the Jewish people called them mutilators of the flesh. And Paul turns that around on them, too. He said, you call, you call the Greek priests mutilators of the flesh? Well, you are mutilators of the flesh because you're trying to force these Greek men to be circumcised in order to follow your legalistic requirements. I got you. So what I believe is at the heart of it is that the Jewish people wanted to have an exclusive claim to Jesus as their Messiah, which he was. But Jesus was bigger than Judaism. These Jewish people had to let go of Jesus as exclusively their Messiah and sort of the corner on that market. And another thing is that religion in general wants to be exclusive. If you're going to have a club, which is what religion is in a sense, then you can't just let anybody into the club. You know, you've got to have requirements that these people meet if they're going to be a part of your little exclusive group. So religion is all, always about being exclusive. Who, who do we get to exclude? And Jesus was always about being inclusive. Who can we include? That was why that Jesus was, uh, you know, criticized as much as he was. And then Paul takes up that mantle and Paul says that Jesus has become all in all, you know, that Jesus is above all of these religious divisions that we have in the world. What, what sort of applications can we make to the church today? Okay. If we're going to say, uh, watch out for those dogs, then there's a couple of ways that we need to apply that to ourselves. One is we need to watch out for those people who say to us, if you're going to be a Christian, then you've got to follow my little set of, of legalistic rules. And when you run into those people, watch out for those people because uh, they're going to turn your devotion to Christ into uh, a set of legalistic rules. And it's just so easy for religion to slip into that. But at the same time, if we're going to say, watch out for those dogs, we're going to have to say, be careful that I don't become a dog. Mm, yeah. Right. Here's the challenging thing that I think stretches our thinking a little bit when we think about Paul and his understanding of Christ. And I don't believe that the Christian church has really tried to embrace it because it threatens our own sense of exclusivity, right? Mm -hmm. For Paul, Jesus is bigger than any one religion or all religions. Jesus is above all of that. And anybody can go to Jesus without the requirement of going through any religion, including the religion that bears his name. Mm. Jesus did not come saying Christianity is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus came saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Jesus claimed to have a knowledge of God and an understanding of God and a way of following God that brought truth and life to people who followed him. He didn't come to establish the Christian religion. Not that I have anything against the Christian religion. I'm I'm a part of the Christian religion, but I need to be careful if I say to someone else who has been attracted to Jesus, um, but they have not become an official convert to, to Christianity. Let me, let me go back and use an Old Testament story to sort of give you an example of, of, of this, okay. if I can. Do you remember the story of um, the Syrian general named Naaman, and he gets leprosy? And it's, it's in Second Kings chapter 5, if you, if you want to go back and, and look it up later on. But, yeah, I can uh, never remember um, which anyways, one of the, uh, the prophets he sees. Is it Elijah or Elisha? It's Elisha. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, S- I re- S-H-A. I re- yeah. Okay. I remember that story. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Good for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you, you're, you're, you're dead on. So Naaman, he, you know, he's this very high ranking official in the Syrian empire, gets leprosy. His wife has a little Jewish maid girl uh, who says, you know, if you go, if you go down to, to this prophet in my home country named Elisha, he can take care of that leprosy for you. So Naaman goes down, takes a whole lot of money with him and stuff to pay Elisha to heal him and Elisha says, well, go dip seven times in the Jordan and you'll be healed. And Elisha doesn't even come out to greet him. He, and, he, and Naaman at first feels like he's, he's been slighted and he's offended by that. And all of the people, his servants says, what do you got to lose? You know, go, go dip seven times in the Jordan. And um, so he, he finally does it. And sure enough, he's cured. Well, he goes back to Elisha and he's just full of gratitude. He acknowledges the God of Israel as the only true God. And he asked Elijah a couple of interesting things. First, he says, can I take as much dirt from your country as two mules can carry back with me to Syria? He realizes that he's standing on holy ground in a sense, and he's going to take this dirt back with him to to Syria so that he can kneel on holy ground there. And then he asked this other question. He says, please forgive me because when I go back to my home country and I'm with the king and the king requires me to go into the temple of our God with him. And they they worship the God Rimmon, R-I-M-M-O-N. He said, when we go into into the temple of the God Rimmon and bow there, then please forgive me. So the sense is that Naaman is saying, okay, I recognize the, the one true God, but I've got to go back up here and practice my religion. But when I go into the temple of the God Remen and I bow there, I'm going to really be praying to Yahweh. And he says, Elijah, is that okay? And the Bible says that Elisha says to him, go in peace. So Elisha gives him like permission to do that. Oh, wow. So when I think of that story, I think of a phenomenon that's happening now, particularly in the Muslim world. 
Jesus seems to be up to something in the Muslim world. And you can research this. You can Google it and just kind of read about it. Many Muslims, particularly young Muslims, have been having visions of Jesus in their dreams. Jesus shows up in their dreams. This has happened many times. It's like a phenomenon. And these Muslims are being converted to Jesus and becoming followers of Jesus because Jesus just makes this appearance in their dreams and says to them, follow me, believe in me. The thing is that many of these Muslims then do not officially convert to the Christian religion. Mm -hmm. They continue to go into the mosque with their fathers as they are expected to do as respectful sons, and they bow, they kneel in the mosque, but they pray to Jesus. They're recognizing Jesus. So how do we respond to that as Christians? Well, I have to be careful about that. Now, am I going to tell that person who has obviously had a conversion experience and been converted to, to Jesus? Am I going to say, well, no, you can't do that. Right. <laughs> you know, I think I have to be careful about that because Jesus is bigger than just my religion. It's, it's so simple, but it's a, it's a profound principle that I think can totally change the, your perspective. It's not like a, an orange, you know, and uh, to get to Jesus, which is the fruit, you've got to go through the peeling of Christianity. Um, you know, Jesus is mm -hmm. bigger than the orange. Um, so, again, yeah. if, you, if we can get our minds around that, I think it changes our perspective completely. So then I guess my question is, and this is going to, uh, this is a real softball I'm throwing you here. The Bible says that we're supposed to, uh, to share this good mm -hmm. news, this gospel. How do we share Jesus without sharing Christianity? Mm, yeah, how's that a softball? Man, I think that's a hard <laughs> question. Dan. I'm not saying to leave your religion. I mean, I, I'm a Christian pastor. I'm a pastor of a church, and I baptize people into the Christian faith. And so I'm not disparaging the Christian religion. Uh, I believe that Christians are being used by God around the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. All I'm saying is that I have to be really, really careful about then turning my Christian religion into a legalistic requirement that I impose on a person who just wants to follow Jesus. When I do that, then I'm becoming a dog, I think, in the Pauline sense of the word, right? I'm becoming like the Judaizers of his day. They were imposing this, what Paul considered to be a non-essential external requirement that they become observant Jews in order to, to follow Jesus. And, and Paul just said, you don't have to do that that Jesus is not the exclusive property mm -hmm. of Judaism. I think that's a helpful distinction. And I'm also uh, a practicing member of, uh, of the Christian religion. And I think um, it sounds like what I'm hearing. It's, it's good to share Jesus. It's good to invite others into the church. But anytime we find ourselves putting something in between 
where a person is and Jesus, uh, that should sound the the dog alarm that maybe we're getting mm, to, yeah. too much like a dog. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. <laughs> so speaking of like uh, rules and legalism, that, that sort of leads to a question that we got from a listener. And Priya, I hope that we are pronouncing your name correctly. Um, and if you go by a different name, will you please send us a recording of the correct pronunciation? Priya is a listener uh, of the podcast from Kenya. And uh, she sent in some questions that had to do with the law and what Jesus said about uh, fulfilling it. So let's, uh, let's listen to Priya's question. Hi, I have a question about the law, Old Testament law. I'd like to hear more about how Jesus came to fulfill the law, but also said not to take away from it. Did he mean that the law served its purpose in the past, but is no longer relevant because of him? Jesus was constantly breaking the law, like healing on the Sabbath, yet says not to change or take away from it. How are these reconciled? Was he talking about all of the law, the civil, ceremonial, and moral, or was he referring only to one or part of it? And when he referred to the law, was he really meaning the most fundamental, such as loving your God and your neighbor? I'd really appreciate if you could talk more about this. Thank you so much. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when he talks about the law, he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he goes on to say, I'll tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not one of the smallest letters, and he actually names the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet, or or the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is fulfilled. So Jesus has great respect for the law. That said, Jesus also claims to have the authority to what he's in his words, to fulfill the law. The question is, what does he mean by that? Mm-hmm. So when Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. And the word fulfill there, think of it as like there's a, a glass of water on a table, like half full, and then you fill it the rest of the way up. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying the law brought you this far, which is good, you know, half full is better than empty. So the law, the law has given you this much. Now I have come to complete that, to fill the glass the rest of the way up. Based on that, then he goes on to to make a lot of, you've heard it said statements, but I say unto you, you know, you've heard it said, uh, do not murder, but I say, do not be angry. He is like, completing what was already started with the law. For instance, what we've talked about this before in the old Testament, the law, they had what was called the lex talionis, the, the law of retribution, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, that was a good start because the law of retribution, the lex talionis was designed to restrain retributive violence Uh, In other words, I could only do to you as much as you had done to me in in violent acts. If you took out my eye, then I could only take out your eye. And so that Jewish law was was a restraint against violence. And so Jesus says, that's that's really good. You've heard it said, 
an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek as well. So Jesus takes what the law started with taking the world from unrestrained violence to equal retribution. And then Jesus takes it further to nonviolence. So Jesus is not abolishing the law. He is actually building on the law. So then how does the law apply to us now? Is there anything for us to gain from the law? Yeah, I think that, I think that we can use the law as a way of looking at where we've come from. It's kind of like if you climb a ladder and, um, you are on the top, if you get to the top rung of the ladder, well, you, you no longer need the bottom rungs of the ladder, but you needed them to get to the top rung. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or to get down. Or, yeah, well, yeah, but, 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 I get but your we're, point. Never, we're, <laughs> you know, we're, we're never going back down. This is where my analogy <laughs> That's right. We're just going We're up. never going back down. Like we're the Jeffersons, we're moving up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, the law works that way. The, the law is this ladder that is, that's brought us up. And, but Jesus is the top rung. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is. That's Jesus's overarching view of the law. Then Jesus applies it to all kinds of things like Sabbath keeping and, and those kind of things. And I believe that uh, Priya had another part of that question. Yeah, that was about. And I, I just wanted to say, I really like that image of the ladder because it sort of ties into the first part of our podcast. So if those, if the lower rungs represent the law and they help you get to Jesus, then that's, that's great. That's what it's there for. But if we're like uh, pushing people to the law, um, we're actually making them go further down the ladder. Um, when we, yeah. what we want yeah. to do is go up. Um, sure. And so I think her, her, the next part of her question, which we can touch on. So Jesus had this respect for the law. He fulfills it, but sometimes he would break the law healing on the Sabbath. As an example, how do you reconcile his respect for the law and the fact that he would from time to time break it? I guess one of the things that I would point out is that when what other people saw as Jesus breaking the law, I believe Jesus would have seen as respecting the law because Jesus had a different perspective on what the law was all about. The Pharisees saw the law as kind of an end in itself. You know, our big goal is to make sure that we can check off this box I did not break the Sabbath. I didn't walk farther than I was supposed to walk on the Sabbath, or I didn't do whatever that I wasn't supposed to do. But Jesus did not see the law as an end to itself. Jesus saw the law as a means to the end. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, uh, in in Mark chapter 2, this may be one of the places that Priya is thinking about, uh, Mark says that one Sabbath, Jesus was going from, you know, through the grain fields and his disciples walked along and they began to pick some heads of grain. Uh, and the way that they would have done that, they would have picked the head of grain and then they would kind of rub that around in their hand to loosen up the chaff and then blew away the chaff so that only the grain was left. From the Pharisees perspective, they would have been harvesting grain 
and, and threshing grain on the Sabbath, which was against the law. The Pharisees sort of key in on that one little instance. They said to him, why are your disciples doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, Jesus gives them this example of David breaking the Sabbath. He says, if you never read that David, when he and his companions were hungry, they went into the temple and when Abiathar was the priest and um, entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful. And then he goes on to say this. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So there's two things Jesus does there. One is he sees the, the law as a means to an end. The, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then he goes on to say, he says, I'm Lord even of the Sabbath. So, so Jesus has this deeper understanding of what's behind the law. And I think that's what we have to get at. And for Jesus, that was always love and goodness. Um, let me you, give you one other example, and then we, can, then we can talk about it. He goes straight from that story, uh, Mark does, into another story about the Sabbath. The Sabbath seems to be, I don't know, one of, one of the sticklers of the Pharisees that Jesus keeps triggering for them. He says, on a, another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man was there with a shriveled hand. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, asked the crowd, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do what is good or to do what is evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. And he looked at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was healed. So you see what Jesus is getting at there. He's trying to get them to see that the deeper meaning of keeping Sabbath is to do what is good, not, what's, not what is evil. And the Pharisees had turned that upside down. They could walk past a person who was hurting and not help that person in order to not break the Sabbath, which Jesus would have said that in and of itself was breaking the Sabbath, the true intent of the Sabbath. Yeah. So, so the Pharisees sort of followed the letter of the law and Jesus was more about the spirit of the law. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So that's kind of, that's the way that I would, you know, sort of address that. I think, um, you know, we, we talk about how Jesus, uh, you know, in Matthew, uh, Jesus gives these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says all of the law hangs on those two commandments. In other words, at the heart of all the law is this, is this deeper commandment to love, to love. Jesus doesn't care about the technicalities of the law. Jesus wants to get to the intent of the law. And I think that's what we have to try, keep striving to do ourselves because there's always some legalism that lurks around that wants to pin us down and turn us into Pharisees. That's right. And you got to beware of those dogs. Yeah. Yeah. You got, yeah. We've come full circle. Watch <laughs> out for the dogs. That's right. Exactly. 
Good stuff, yeah. Rob. I appreciate it, man. Um, and thank you, Priya, for sending in those questions and for sending in your voice. It's wonderful to hear you on the show. And uh, if you have questions or feedback um, of any kind, criticisms of what you've heard today, we'd, we'd like to hear from you. Uh, Rob and I, I think we'll, uh, Rob would agree that you know we're, we're figuring out this journey as we go along. And so we don't have the answers, but we can sort of wrestle with the questions together. So uh, we'd love to hear from you. And if you want to do like Priya and send us an audio recording, we'll include it on the next show. You can email us at info at questioningchristianitypodcast.com. That's our website as well. Uh, and you can always uh, pose a question or reach out to us on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash questioning Christianity. I think that's going to do it, Rob. Any final thoughts before we hit the stop button? I don't think so, Dan. Man, you've exhausted me today. I know. You get back to taking your nap, and uh, yeah, we'll see I you know. next time on the Questioning <laughs> Christianity podcast. Bye, guys. Bye.